This is The Art of Being You, and I'm Rachel Wortman. This podcast brings you inspiration, insights, and practical tools to help you become more like Jesus. Get ready to embrace who God has created you to be. I've got a great episode in store for you today, so without further ado, here is The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to The Art of Being You. Today is a doozy of an episode. Once a year, I like to do an episode all about sex and godly sex, and today is that day. Um, you know, I might, I think I talked about it a little bit in our marriage series in February of this calendar year, uh, but I haven't done a dedicated podcast with the name sex in it in a while. So um, this is going to be one that you probably don't want to listen to with your kids in the background, not because anything is crass. If you have listened to my episodes before, you know my goal is to always keep it classy uh, and keep it biblical. But also, I've got little kids I don't want to, you know, expose certain terms to either. So I totally get it. Um, but listen, why do I do this? Why do I subject myself to this? If you had asked me 20 years ago, do you think you'd ever talk about sex regularly on a podcast? I would tell you H-E-L-L hockey sticks. No, uh, there's just no way. In fact, I remember being a newlywed and being in a discipleship school and the old man, right? He was like in his fifties, but he felt a hundred to me in my young ridiculousness. Apologies to all of you who are in that season of life. As I approach that era of life, I am repenting constantly for my younger perceptions. Um, but he came in and he talked about sex and masculine and feminine. And I remember the whole time just thinking, I want to crawl in a cave. I want to die. I cannot believe this is happening. And it was a once, you know, literally one message a year. That's it. Um, to talk about it. But as I've grown, and especially as I've grown in the last several years, I've just come to realize how much we've got to be talking about godly kingdom sex, because the message of sex that's out there in the world is just getting it so wrong. It's just getting it so wrong. So today what we're going to do is we're actually going to talk about sexual sin and is sexual sin the quote worst kind of sin. And uh, that's going to bring up a couple of different topics I think you'll find interesting. And so here's what I want you to know. We've talked about sex probably the third or fourth time on this podcast now. So, you know, there's a lot we've already covered that I want to encourage you to go back and listen to if you haven't listened to it already. There's the this is what I know to be true. And I, I said this just a second ago, but I want to reiterate it. When we have a healthy view of sex, we are a healthy person. So as believers, we're not like America was, you know, founded on these Puritan beliefs. Yes, there were Christian values, but they were also Puritan values that that thought that it was even wrong to say the word sex. It was like this has to stay reserved in the bedroom and never talked about. And because of that, we just have this interesting stigma in Christian Americans where we're embarrassed by our sexual nature. We're embarrassed by the fact that people have sex. We want to pretend like it's not happening Although uh, we also want to celebrate babies being born and we want to kind of pretend that those two things don't go together and they do. So today is going to be all about sexual sin, um, not necessarily what God thinks about sex because we've covered that before already. So is sexual sin the worst kind of sin? Well, I'm going to give you a caveat ahead of time about do I believe that all sins are the same? And here's what I want to say. 
At different times in my life, I have believed differently about this phrase. When I was younger and knew nothing about the Bible in my teenage and early 20s of my life, I thought, yes, some sins are worse than others. And what I meant by that was God will kick you out over some sins. God cannot forgive you over some sins. Now, I might not have phrased it like that, but that's kind of what I thought. In fact, you know, I carried a lot of fear in me about certain types of sins, like saying the F word felt like an inexcusable, excommunicable sin in my mind when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, and certainly having sex uh, regularly, you know, that wasn't an accident, which is, you know, I'll get into in a second, um, that would definitely be a, an excommunicative uh, thing as well. And so at that time, I believed falsely that some sins were worse than others because of the consequence of it in my mind was that God would reject you and would say that you are sort of unworthy if you did those things. Moving into my mid-20s, then I developed a different opinion where I started meditating on the cross and and my late 20s and I began to understand what the cross had done and at that point recognizing it doesn't matter what sin that you have, as Paul would say, all have sinned and all have fallen short. Like nobody gets a pass. Somebody's going to do something that's going to require them uh, to need the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of God to have a relationship with God. And so in my pursuit of that understanding, I began to recognize that in some ways all sins are the same because they all cost Jesus the same price. He had to die for the little sins and the big sins just the same. But then at this point in my life, in my late 30s, I have sort of a hybrid view of the two. So let me explain this to you. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, you are absolutely free to have your own opinion because there's not something black and white in the Bible about this. And if you know there is, please let me know because I might not have seen it in there. But at this point in my life, here's what I believe. All sins cost Jesus the same. And therefore, from Jesus's perspective, all sin is equally bad. But also, some sins carry larger consequences with them than others. For example, if I say that F word, if I stub my toe, which I try very, very hard not to do. In our home, you know, we kind of, our, our goal in our marriage is to have a, a marriage where we're both shooting for what's the most comfortable for each other, right? So if I am annoyed by certain things, I expect my husband to respect that out of love and vice versa. And so my husband is a saint and he does not like any cuss words. And so occasionally when they come out of my mouth, uh, there's some confessing that has to happen. And I hope that, uh, that you can still love me after confessing that to you. Um, so, uh, so like the F word, for example, which I don't hardly say ever, but if it comes out of my mouth for whatever reason, then I know there's going to be some consequences for that in my marriage. I'm going to make my husband frustrated. Uh, if my kids are around, which Lord willing, they're not, you know, there's consequences there. The consequence of something like a cuss word is entirely different than the consequence of something like murder, right? So although a murderer and a, you know, unwholesome talker, both need the cross to be forgiven, the effects of that sin are wildly different. Can we agree on that? When someone is murdered, that murderer did something that doesn't just affect their own life, but multiple lives in the world, in the future. You know, it's a big, big deal. 
So is sexual sin the worst kind of sin? Well, I'm going to put it, and I might be out on a limb here, but I'm going to put sexual sin in the category up towards the top of the worst consequences. Now, I'm not saying if you have sex outside of marriage, you're the same as a murderer. Do not hear that. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know that any of us can make a hierarchy because we don't truly know what God thinks about that, right? But we do know this, that the consequences of healthy of excuse me of unhealthy sexual activity are actually a big deal is sexual sin the worst kind of a sin i don't know but i can tell you that it has some of the worst consequences why well the bible talks a lot about sins that defile sins that corrupt right uh, in fact it's interesting in all of the bible's conversation about what to do with sin sexual sin is the only time the bible says to just run away it says to flee sexual immorality right to not even try to fight it like just run the other way <laughs> if your eye looks lustfully just rip it right out right and it's going you're going what in the world i think the reason is is because there's something about our internal connectivity to the Holy Spirit and our place as the temple of the Holy Spirit that is defiled on a, on a much more complex level with sexual sin than with other sins. It, it just is. There's a component there because it's happening, especially for women, on the internal part of their body that is, it just has a different connotation. But the other reason why sexual sin has such um, such negative consequences is because the devil has a one-two punch of guilt and shame that stifle the life of the believer like nothing else. Okay, I've never murdered anybody and I will never murder anybody, so I don't know how much guilt you might feel as a murderer. But think about it. If you know somebody or you yourself have, have experienced sexual immorality in your life, there is lingering guilt no matter how many times you've been forgiven, no matter how many times you've you know interacted with the Lord. It, it just lingers. It's very, very hard to wipe clean from your mind, from your senses, from your cells. It's a big deal. The guilt and shame that the enemy loves to put on believers with sexual sin is off the charts. And it goes before you and it comes behind you, right? So it's like you're never able to escape it. And I really want to encourage you, if you struggle with this, if you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, I resonate because that's me. I have all this guilt and shame. I want to say to you that you can get free. And freedom is going to probably come in stages for you, but you can get free. Now, what what are you saying, Rachel? You're saying that you know, you're free, but it also never goes away. Well, you do have a memory. You have a brain, right? Uh, those of you guys that have listened for a long time, you know my story. You know I was sexually molested for a long time as a young girl by a friend, by a, a peer of mine. And there are times where out of nowhere, a memory will crop back up, creep back up in my mind that I wasn't asking for, that I didn't want to think about, and I have to navigate and walk through. And so what I'm saying, am I free? A thousand percent, I'm free. I'm a different person than I was when that was happening to me. I don't live under hardly any effects, but am I untainted? No. Do I still have to fight with that freedom sometimes? Absolutely. And I know if you're listening to this and you've had a similar story, you know exactly what I'm saying. We are kidding ourselves if we think that we can engage in sexual immorality and it'll just go away. We'll forget about it like we forgot the cuss word we said a few months ago when we stubbed our toe or got in a car accident. It doesn't, it, it's, it's a different type of place in your brain. So here's what I want you to know. 
Jesus cares a lot about your internal world. He cares a lot about it. It's his home. He cares a lot about it, both literally your physical body and also spiritually. He cares a lot about it. Things that defile the internal self are so dangerous for more than one reason. I think this is why the Bible says to flee, right? I think this is why the Bible says, look, don't even try to rationalize it. Don't try to, you know, any of that. Just get out. If you start to feel tempted, just get out. Why? Because we are, as human beings, we're actually designed to enjoy sex. I'm just telling you. You are designed by God. God created you, male and female. He created all the neurons and the nerve endings and all of this stuff biologically in your body to enjoy having sex. And so that's part of, I think, why the Bible says, get out of there, because that desire for pleasure is going to be so strong that you are not probably going to be able to sit there and fight it, that you're going to need to get out, right? This is one of the things that I think people miss about marriage in particular, and we're living in a day and age where it's so normal to not be married, to just live together, and people don't like the idea of of marriage. But sex inside of a godly marriage, there is nothing like it. I am absolutely convinced it is the best thing on the face of the earth. One of the reasons is because when you're in a godly marriage and you're committed to one another and you're experiencing emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy, and you're drawing towards one another and you know how to forgive one another, it's like, I'm not saying it's always good. I'm saying it continually gets better. And I I just think there's nothing like it. When you can trust your spouse, the world literally does not know what they're missing. Now, I'm not really saying, you know, we go on some sort of marketing campaign, get saved because the sex is better. Like that's not <laughs> being really ridiculous right now, but you know what I mean. What I'm saying to you is that when we value what God values, it is a blessing in so many ways. And this is what I want for my kids, for my, for everybody that I know, that we would all be sexually whole. Did you know that you can be sexually whole? Did you know that? Did you know that you can be renewed in your mind and made, made new and made clean by the Lord, that you can let go of temptations for sexual immorality? Isn't it interesting how Paul, as a single man, was seemingly unfazed to go into all these different, you know, very demonic environments, very sexually demonic environments, and, uh, and, and preach the gospel and not be tempted in that way? You might be saying, well, maybe that was the thorn in the flesh. Like maybe he had an issue with, um, you know, with masturbation or something. And that was the thorn in the flesh that he talks about. I don't believe so. In fact, just the, the scholarly approach to that phrase does not include that. Um, there's a couple of theories out there and none of them are that he had some sort of a, a sexual temptation. So what, how, how do we get there when Jesus is so real to you? And the understanding of who God is and the communion with God in your internal world, in the temple inside of you, when that is rich and powerful and dynamic, the things of the world, they just don't feel good. They don't look good. They don't sound good. They don't taste good. When you are having a propensity for the things of the world, especially sexual things, since that's today's topic, I really want to encourage you, ask yourself this question, why? Why? Why do I like this? Why is this interesting to me? See, this is where guilt and shame are so tricky. They don't want you to think about it. They want you to feel so embarrassed that you even like that thing that you don't stop to think about it. When we're counseling uh, married couples, we usually counsel them about 
how important it is to have good communication about your sex life. And you know what? Time and time again, Christians struggle to articulate what they like when it comes to sexual activity. They struggle because all of this guilt and the shame, but we shouldn't be carrying guilt and shame into marriage, right? We shouldn't be carrying it anyway, but we shouldn't be carrying it into marriage because we have to understand that this is a gift. Like, like I haven't said this on the podcast in a long time, but the reality is the, the sex drive, the whoever in your marriage has the stronger sex drive, that's a gift to you because it draws you towards one another because that other person is the only one who can meet that need. Think about it. It's actually a gift, even though we criticize it, even though we might, you know, I've listened to a lot of people say it's so exhausting, et cetera. But, but like if you change the narrative and you begin to have healthy conversations, you dissipate a lot of that frustration. So why aren't we asking why? If you're listening to this and you're single or you're not married and, and, or you're in a relationship and you're not married and you're going, you know, well, I don't really relate to that. But you, if you have any type of a sexual urge, a sinful urge, Sexual urges are not sinful in their own. But if you're acting on it in a way that is immoral, ask yourself that question. Why do I like doing this? And when you bring it to the front of your mind and you bring it up to Jesus, ask Jesus, do you have the guts to do that? Ask Jesus, why do I like to look at this? Is there anything you can do to help me not want to look at this? I used to um, be heavily entrenched in pornography for a really long time. I think you guys have, I've talked about this before on the podcast. So if you're new, um, surprise, you're learning all my dirty secrets today. Um, but I used to be heavily entrenched in that and from a very, very young age. And, you know, I had a lot of freedom just by willpower alone, but it didn't take the temptation away. Like I still had the temptation in the back of my mind. And you know what changed the temptation? I was listening to a biblical teacher talking about demonic worship. And now I'm, I'm just going to apologize to you on the front end. This is really intense, but um, I got to say it. In the Bible days, in biblical days, the some of the places that Paul went to with his team to plant churches and preach the gospel had cultures where they had these temples and there were um, highly, sec- like so much sexualization happened in these temples. There were orgies, there were, um, you. that was part of how you worshipped some of these demonic gods. You actually, part of your worship would be to engage in sexual acts with these women who lived in the temple. And um, I, I could go on and on, but it's pretty vile and I don't really want to talk about it. But that was what these demonic spirits with these, let's say, principalities derived out of worship. They liked to be worshipped through ungodly sex. That was how they received worship. And this particular Bible teacher was making the connection to what's happening with pornography today on the cloud and how you can get pornography 24 hours a day whenever you feel like it. You can have demonic worship happening. In the exact same way that it was happening in the temple in Paul's day, it's happening on our smartphones and our computers and our TVs in 2022. And we have to recognize that we are giving our worship to the demonic world when we engage with pornography. Now, I recognize that's super intense. And I acknowledge that that might create fear in some of you that are listening. But here's why I bring it up. I don't know very many Christians who would say, you know what, I will gladly give my worship to Baal today. You know what, Mammon, you get my worship today. You know what, um, you know, Jezebel, I bow down. Like, we're not like that, right? We recognize that the Ten Commandments begin with, you shall have no other gods but me. 
And so what the enemy loves to do is make you think that it's not that big of a deal when you turn on pornography. It's not that big of a deal when you don't fast forward through the sex scenes. It's not that big of a deal when et cetera, et cetera. But in actuality, it's actually demonic worship. And when we as sons and daughters of God, when we as those who are the temple of the Holy Spirit present ourselves to engage in that action, that's what we're doing. We are, are, we're violating commandment number one because we're making our pleasure, we're making our, um, you know, flesh, we're giving worship to the demonic in that moment. Now, I know that that's a really heavy thought and I hesitated even bringing it up because I don't want to put some sort of like a condemnation yoke on you. But do you know what I know to be true? When I heard that, I thought to myself, never again, never, never again will I allow something to be playing in the background. And I'm telling you, this would maybe be like once every couple of years. Like I was very free at this point when I heard this message, I don't know, six, seven years ago. But at this point in my life, anytime something like that is on, I'm like, no, it doesn't matter if it's interesting, if it's tempting, because I see it as something different and it has liberated something inside of me. And I think it can do the same for you. Jesus cares about you being sexually whole and being clean from the way the enemy would want to defile what sexuality is in your life. He does. He wants you to be free. Look, I'm telling you, Jesus wants you to have great sex. It is true that some people are called to be celibate in their lifestyle. Some people are called to to be single and not be married. And, you know, and usually when that happens, there is um, like a different desire inside of them. The Lord takes care of that biological urge. And so what I'm saying to you is, do you trust the Lord with this part of your life? Do you trust him with this part of your life? Can you engage Jesus in the things that you think about sexually so that you can work through them in a way that actually liberates guilt and shame? I'm telling you, God created this part of your body. He created your body to desire these things. So don't you think he would be the best person to talk to when you have challenges in that area? I think he is, and I think you'll find he is as well. So we could talk about this, you know, at length, uh, because this is a topic I'm passionate about. And the reason is because for someone like me who had been through so much pain in this topic to come to a place where there's real freedom and, and liberation, I just wish that for everybody. I wish that we could all wake up and see the way the enemy is twisting and distorting, distorting us and causing us to, to have like a weird distorted view of purity, even, you know, where we don't even, we can't be connected to our, ourself in a way that God wants us to. And when we can't do that in ourselves, we can't raise kids that way, guys. For me, I was so adamant that I wanted to be sexually whole, right? I wanted to be right in all how I thought about it and how I viewed it in all, all those ways because I wanted to raise my kids in a way that was um, different. I wanted to be intentional in that way. And I'm telling you, man, even just, you know, a couple years in, we're seeing so much fruit from our decision to, to really fix it in ourselves first. Because our kids, they emulate who we are, not what we think, right? Not what we say. They emulate who we are. So we can say all day long, do this, don't do this. But if we're still broken in that area, we're not demonstrating to them what freedom really looks like. And this is my encouragement to you. You can be that. You can be free. Jesus can and will help you. Until next time. 
Be blessed. You've just listened to another episode of The Art of Being You. My goal is to empower you to embrace the goodness of God over your life and step into that abundant life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And did I mention that I'd love to connect with you? Find me on Facebook and Instagram at Rachel Wartman and on TikTok at The Rachel Wartman. You can find more resources, including my books and other teachings at rachelwartman.com.